0: Coming to you from that once forgotten artery that pulses through the center of the continental United States and into the heart of the Ozarks, Grace Matthews. Looking in from the northern border, our Canadian friend along with his countrymen feeling the effects of US political issues, Connor Murphy.
1: Welcome to episode three of Dueling Dialogues. I'm Connor Murphy, out here in my Pacific Northwest studio with Grace Matthews in her studio in Springfield, Missouri. Hi, Grace. Hi. How are you, Connor? Doing good. It's Friday.
2: Yeah. Hip, hip, hooray.
1: Yes. we. I look forward to this day all week, so.
2: Yeah, it's getting close to happy hour.
1: Don't take it personal or anything, but. <laughs> I won't. I won't. Good. So what do we got coming up in this episode? The issue at the top
2: and the bottom of all the current problems, and that's freedom of speech. And I think the changes in the world have us looking and defining freedom of speech differently than maybe we did a couple decades ago freedom of speech in the United States is the first of is the First Amendment, which protects even hate speech, but not threats. In 2001, we started redefining what threats, what constituted a threat and that physical bodily threats would not be covered by the First Amendment. Prior to that, at least in my lifetime, I'm not sure we gave it a lot of thought. Freedom of speech is the right to express opinions without censorship or restraint. In the United States, we also have freedom of expression, which is the freedom to express ourselves through religious customs, uh, through art, in and, and the broader sense of art, as in you know, fiction writing, movies, so we're, we're protected in the United States. Um, bullying and taunts are also protected. Hate speech, racist comments are protected as long as they do not threaten physical harm. Now, it's complicated because the victim gets a little leeway in defining whether they feel physically threatened or not. And, and those cases are starting to be defined and brought into the judicial system and into the, the, the basic conversation. Uh, what is freedom of speech and what isn't? Um, I know in Canada you guys have a, a more implicitly defined it. Um, could you tell us a little bit about
1: that, Connor? Yeah, for sure. What a coincidence. Grace, I've got um, the webpage right up here, and I just happened to be reading section 319 of the Canadian Criminal Code. What a psychic. Yeah, I don't know how you're I amazing. That. <laughs> Yeah, you're, you're right. It's, it's a little more cut and dried. And I mean, there's, there's still that gray area um, between free speech and hate speech. So let me read to you what we have in Section 319, um, Section 1 of the Criminal Code. So, everyone who, by communicating statements in a public place, incites hatred against any identifiable group where such incitement is likely to lead to a breach of peace, is guilty of an indictable offense and is liable to imprisonment for a term not exceeding two years or an offense punishable on summary conviction. So section 2. Everyone who, by communicating statements other than in private conversation, willfully promotes hatred against any identifiable group is guilty of an indictable offense and is liable to imprisonment for two years. Same thing. So, in section three, there's some possible defenses here. If you're charged with that. Yeah, so there, there's, there's four possibilities here. That Two are kind of related, but. Um, so, no person shall be convicted of an offense under subsection two if he establishes that the statements communicated were true. So, you got to prove that what you said is true. If, in good faith, the person expressed or attempted to establish. Why an argument, an opinion on a religious subject, or an opinion based on belief of a religious text? Okay, so if it's an opinion, you can claim a defense. Yeah, and I can see
2: a lot of attorneys
1: would be jumping on that
2: in the United States. I mean, a good attorney could probably get their client out of hot water.
1: Exactly. So if you got a protest sign... Uh, you just have to start the sign-off with, it's my opinion? Correct. Yeah. I mean, at least it's, it, it sounds like that's me.
2: In fact, I, I'm really impressed with how simple the language is.
1: Yeah, the, it's it's pretty cut and dried. You don't need to be a lawyer or have uh, a master's degree in English in order to understand this. Sections uh, C and D of Section Three, subsection three, uh, basically say that you know if you it's okay if you're pointing out something that happens to be true and brings danger to some sort of group or another Canadian or identifiable group in Canada so there are some defenses now they do exercise this law in Canada this spring uh, a blogger Kevin Johnson from Mississauga Ontario was uh charged with um his rant against uh, Muslims. So he was charged mm. with a hate crime. Now, yes, it's his blog. It's, you know, and a blog is personal opinion. However, where he... There's lost, a twist. <laughs> yeah, he crossed the line. He offered up a bounty. He offered a bounty, $1,000, and he later increased it to $2,500. A bounty no. for someone's head? No. to oh. To okay. anyone who films a Muslim student, in a Mississauga school, spewing hate speech during Friday prayers.
2: Oh, so he's turning the law around on the Muslim community, basically. The well, law he's sitting there violating. He's turning around on a Muslim.
1: Yeah, it's that's he crossed the sort line. Of. definitely. Yeah, but he crossed <laughs> yeah, the line. Yeah. I mean, yeah. obviously, um, you know, absolutely, he crossed the line. There, there was um, enough evidence there for him to, to be charged with that now what happens south of the border does affect us here in Canada oh, So yeah our uh, progressive conservative leader Andrew shear yes. um, he refuses to do any further interviews with rebel media and Ezra Levant and oh yeah. is that
2: like fake news Donald Trump's fake news? no CNN it's... and fake news. <laughs>
1: Well, it, it's it's let, let me put it this way: Think Alex Jones, maybe, and if oh, worse.
2: Oh, okay.
1: So they're they're yeah, spewing out hate. Well, they're <laughs> over there in the right, and uh, Rebel Media took a stance on what happened in Charlottesville this last uh, week, and um, the progressive sur- conservative leader uh, did not like the stance. Obviously, supporting something um, for the white nationalists. And uh, they yeah. refuse to, you know, uh, do any further interviews with rebel media altogether. So, what order definitely, uh, you know, affects us here?
2: It's difficult to define sometimes, but it is very hurtful. And as I said before, in the United States, threats are taken, physical threats are taken very seriously. And I believe that we're starting to question hate speech, which doesn't hurt someone physically, but does emotionally. Right. We're starting to understand the impact. And I am a staunch supporter of the First Amendment. I mean, as a writer, a media person, it, it, it's, it's so important to us that we be able to express our opinions, to tell a story, and, and to tell it with a transparency that gives us the freedom to do so. Hate speech Again, as a child, I grew up in a um, farming community. Farming community that was very white, good, hardworking people. At At that point in my life, I did not realize I was a Jew because my parents had protected us from it because of where we lived. And I was brutalized on a daily basis for being a Jew. And at the time, I didn't even know it um, to the point that we had to move. I mean, I was, I was beat up. I was taunted and teased. And it's a horrible, horrific thing. Anti-Semitism is... You know, it's rampant in some communities. Mm-hmm. And for children, especially living away from a community of Jews or from Israel, it is, um, it can be a lonely and terrifying experience. Of course, people in Israel and people in com- Jewish communities have been targeted, but they oftentimes have each other. Right. And that can be a huge support, but I digress. So I understand redefining hate, but not at the expense of giving up our First Amendment rights and telling a story about our history. Um, Being able to talk about history um, from a candid, truthful aspect is very important. we don't want to become the Orwellian society and forget where we came from. Because we've done a lot of ugly things. And people all over the globe have, not just Americans. But we need to strive to do better.
1: Well, we, we have the same sort of issues here in Canada, especially against Muslims right now. Um, I do have an example of that. So um, there was a Facebook group. They're they're a right-wing group, um, and the the media group's called Proper Gander Promotions. So they were going to do a demonstration in Vancouver, and they listed some speakers from several anti-immigrant groups. Well, once people got uh, word of this demonstration being put on, they countered it, and they put a kibosh on it in in the media kind of thing. And and the people um, in that group, only eight said that they would show up by the time it got close to to rally time. And 800 other people showed up to protest their rally. So
2: 800
1: pro-immigrants... Right.
2: Pro, I mean, excuse me, pro immigration right. people showed up to eight anti immigration. I'm afraid in the States our numbers would be just the opposite.
1: Right. And this doesn't exist everywhere in Canada. There is, it would have been much different if it would have been another such place other than Vancouver. Vancouver's got a very, very diverse uh, ethnic population.
2: It's like a melting pot
1: yes it? well we're on the coast here so think you know seattle uh when you think vancouver yes it's, yeah, it's you know, gorgeous there too yes it is we've had a very dry summer too so um not as dry as the u.s political uh, environment though
2: yeah but that draws a lot of people you've got not far away you've got water snow Right. you've got almost four seasons that right. surround you
1: yes and we've... within
2: what an hour or two and that draws people that that really is a draw for people from all over the world
1: right so we have a very diverse population um, when it comes to uh, you know everybody's background and and uh, there's areas of Vancouver where we're if you're ca- caucasian you're a minority so wow yeah so we're pretty open to you know immigration out here on the west coast whereas other parts in canada aren't so open to it and they for for that reason they're they they don't like trudeau very much and it tends to be the far right that is is the ones that are uh, you know The one's not happy with what's happening currently in Canada. You know what we have that the United States does not have?
2: What do you have?
1: We have a refugee camp. Really? Yes, as a matter of fact.
2: Where um, are they from?
1: They are basically um, I guess your illegal population Um, and they're coming through New York and into Quebec.
2: So Trump's running them
1: out Of the United States, and
2: they're headed for?
1: Canada. Canada. Well, somebody is passing the word around, apparently, that uh, Canada's open, and you just cross the border, and you're welcome with open arms, and it's not the case. Um, After the the earthquake in Haiti, we actually had a refugee ban on for a while. Really? a, A lot of Canadians don't know that, so... Oh, my um, gosh. Yeah. Now,
2: was was Trudeau in office then? No. no oh, okay. I can't imagine no. he would do that.
1: No. No, no. I mean, he's... he
2: seems very pro-immigration.
1: Oh, definitely. Definitely yeah. pro-immigration.
2: And he's very Obama-esque. He, he and Obama were friends. They saw eye to eye a lot. For, for a lot of people that don't um know or you know haven't really paid attention to Canadian politics had Trudeau been in office longer at the same time Obama was in office I think there would have been lots of pacts and made between the United States and Canada a lot more
1: right I think you're right um I mean, we do have our ongoing battles with the lumber industry and things like that, but we're, we're digressing away from free speech for sure. Exactly. Um, the, uh, it would be interesting to actually get the view on fr- free speech from people from other countries.
2: Absolutely.
1: So I think what we need to do is, is revisit this whole free speech versus hate speech. And maybe bring in some more online examples from social media. But um, more than that, I'd love to bring in some people from uh, other countries, maybe Iceland or Europe somewhere.
2: That's an excellent idea because this is a global issue.
1: Right. And it'd be very interesting to hear what you know, how other countries are handling this problem. Like, this is a small problem. It's about 250 refugees a day. I shouldn't say it's a small problem. That's a big problem. No, that's a but, big problem. But it's it's not to the volume that of what the European countries are seeing.
2: Exactly. And with, you know, terrorism and immigration, freedom of speech becomes a much larger issue. And I use the word larger because it encompasses many issues. Right. For example, in the United States, we have an implicit freedom of speech, but that does not apply to private business insofar as their employees are concerned. So if you were an employee and you express your freedom of speech and the employer does not agree with it or doesn't like it or feel like feels like it's hurtful or profane, he is certainly allowed to fire you without any legal repercussions. Now having said that, that same business owner, although the, he used to in the past be able to decide to do business with any customer he wanted, he can't do that anymore.
1: Without okay. being labeled a you know, discriminatory jerk.
2: Exactly, and actually taken to court because it can be considered out-and-out um, out discrimination or racism. For example, there is a small business that makes wedding cakes and they refused a couple of years ago to make a cake for a gay couple because it violated their religious beliefs and they are being shut down and fined a significant amount of money well over a hundred thousand dollars even back in the 60s and 70s you know the no, no shirt no shoes no service Long hair. You could refuse service to anyone based on any reason you wanted to. You know, we're again, we are redefining those things, and our children, the millennials, have have a different expectation of what free speech means, and I believe that is because they've been they've grown up with social media. Now, their grandparents and parents are horrified at the thought of redefining free speech. But let me tell you, as the baby boomers start to outnumber or start to to be outnumbered by the millennials, you know, these changes are coming and and we're going to have to get used to it. And I, I do understand why it scares us. One of the best examples of a new definition of free speech is the case of Michelle Carter. Um, Her boyfriend was off in his truck. I think the truck was running. He was attempting to commit suicide and they were talking back and forth on text. She encouraged him to go ahead and commit suicide. And recently, she was charged with involuntary manslaughter for encouraging him to commit suicide. Now, this redefines freedom of speech.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely correct.
2: I think it sets a new precedence in the United States.
1: Definitely. Definitely. You know, likely what was occurring there is he had threatened and threatened, oh, you got to get back to me or I'm going to kill you. She said myself. that. Yeah, You're exactly and, right. And she, she was just fed up and said, all right, never thinking that he would actually go ahead and do it.
2: That's exactly what she did. And um, exactly. She, you know, I, I do believe she had her own emotional issues. And I, I wasn't on the jury, so I don't want to – Judge what the jury did I I would probably have a hard time Convicting her Um, Saying she needed to spend some time um, Getting mental health care I would definitely Have agreed to But it does It sets a precedence That Even though she wasn't hurting him Physically And prior to this case I feel like that's how we all Defined Freedom of speech, a threat was a threat that you were going to harm somebody. Mm -hmm. She wasn't harming him, but she was certainly agreeing that he and encouraging that he hurt himself. It's a new fine line.
1: Yes. I I remember seeing that in social media. Now, she's lucky I'm not the judge. I would have given her an extra six months for those horrible eyebrows. (laughs) She I'm did sorry. have
2: some prominent eyebrows. I will agree I'm with sorry. you. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I agree with you. But, you know, it, it, the face of free speech is changing. I, I think we've, we will agree to that. Recently, a, a Google employee wrote a report on females in, in the technical world. He did do it on the company computer, under company, on probably on company time. But it was a very transparent look at why women go into technology, why they don't, and how the atmosphere at Google is conducive, or more importantly, not conducive to women in technology. Now, Google has a lot of power and you, you, you really have to sit and think and I think it's brought this to the forefront. The idea that Google dictates much of what we talk about, much of what we read, and, and there is sometimes censorship within that. And it it really begs the question, does the elite believe that the freedom of speech applies to them and only them? And when I mean elite, I mean big business people, politicians, um, in some cases, judges, actors, actresses, uh, Hollywood. Because... There is kind of that mentality out there that it's okay for them to say, undo, and bully, but it is not okay for others. And I think that is another
1: area that we should explore. The 1%?
2: The 1%. Yes. And believe me, I love capitalism. And I love the 1%. But there's another 1%. That believes they are privileged to make decisions for others.
1: The far left uh, wants more laws to prevent that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, so when you get to the extreme left or the extreme right, um, that's where we start to seem to get into these free speech versus hate speech issues.
2: Exactly. Exactly, and I thought a few years ago there was going to be this war on bullying, especially if you're on social media. You know, people were really taking a stance, and as a mother also of a special needs child, that was very important to me. But I see these same people during these past elections that basically use speech to bully others. The same people that launched campaigns for bullied children. And let me tell you, children will do what they see adults do. And if you, you know, prostitute the First Amendment, if the adults do, the children will too.
1: Well, Grace, uh, we definitely have to talk about this. This issue is not going away, or the controversy between free speech and hate speech so, we do need to revisit that. and maybe next time we'll we'll bring in some other people. I'd like to talk to somebody from Iceland after they put all the bankers in the in jail. Yeah, ooh, that sounds juicy. because that involves you know a bit of uh, of everything, free speech and um, maybe what America needs to do as well, and Canada for that matter. Correct. Okay, Grace, you have a great weekend. You too. And uh, I look forward to chatting with you on Monday. I look forward to it too. You know,
2: we don't always agree, but life's a journey. Godspeed, my friends.
1: Godspeed. And thanks, listeners, for tuning in. Catch you next time.